0: Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I want to start off by kind of shocking you with a statement. God loves gangsters. (laughs) And uh, if you imagine a gangster like this, a cross between charles ponzi Uh, and if you know the fraudulent uh, get rich quick scheme named after him the ponzi scheme but a cross between charles ponzi and danny devito (laughs) then you get a short little man who cheats you out of money and uh, don't look at me i'm not referring to myself i'm talking about a bible character And some of you will know that there was a short man by the name of Zacchaeus, a notorious, wealthy con man of Jericho. And although he never reached great heights, (laughs) his mother had high ideals for him. It's interesting that the name Zacchaeus means pure, innocent, and he was far from that. But when when Zac... (laughs) was at the height of his career or at the lowest point. He heard about Jesus, and he had a very strong desire to see Jesus and to know more about him. He was uh, up a tree, but he had an encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus went to his house, and Zacchaeus repented of his sins and he promised to make restitution, and Jesus responds with these uh, significant gracious words in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. He says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. And I have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. Wow. Wow. It's so beautiful, you know, and, and, and these words uh, of Jesus caught my attention, especially when he said salvation has come to this home, not just to this man, but to this home. And this statement of Jesus made me realize that God is interested in whole households. Uh, because Jesus came to emphasize that God is the original father. He's concerned about families. And so uh, I, I want to speak to you this morning about the fact that God is a household God. And uh, the Bible is very, very clear about that. Now, as I said, God is the original father. He invented families and He's interested in and concerned about families to fix broken families, make them whole again, restore dysfunctional families, and make them work again, save lost families uh, gone astray and make them walk in his ways again. So if you go through the Old Testament, you can start in the book of Genesis how God blessed Adam and Eve and how he wanted them to multiply because he loves families. And then late in, in, in Genesis, um, it's, it's very interesting, and I don't have the time to go through that, but go and read the story of Lot and how judgment came, but how God was prepared to save Lot's whole household from destruction, even his unbelieving, uh, unrighteous son-in-laws or sons-in-law. And, and God wanted to, to save that whole family. If you, if you read about the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament, it's about a special year of liberation of families and renewal of those things. And one more Old Testament reference, and I like this one, Joshua, the leader of Israel, proclaimed these words to the people of Israel in chapter 24 and verse 25. He says, as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's very interesting if you read further in the chapter that um, the people of Israel heard these voice, uh, these words of of Joshua, and they also made the same decision that they will serve God with their household. So Joshua and his decision not influenced himself and his family, but also a whole nation. That's amazing. So I want to say this. God is interested in individuals, but also in in households, households. And I want to encourage you as an individual in a household to trust God for this salvation, for God's blessing on your whole family, because your faith can impact your world. Now, I just need to say this so that we don't have any misunderstanding here. I do believe that salvation is a personal choice that everyone has to make. There's no such thing as surrogate salvation. No one can receive salvation uh, on behalf of someone else or for someone else. I like what uh, David Duplessis said. He uh, was so well-known... Uh, known as Mr. Pentecost, and he put it simply like this, God has no grandchildren. And that's that's so true. You can grow up in a so-called Christian home, but that doesn't mean a thing unless you make that personal decision. So I, I don't want you to misunderstand this, but I want to say this. Sometimes just one person in a family, and quite often the one in charge of the family, can make a decision that could affect his or her whole family and their future because God looks favorably on such decisions. And and I I want to say this, God will pursue even the uninterested and the unwilling family members. So if you're here today and and maybe you're a single individual without any immediate family, God still cares for you in a very personal way and you are part of God's greater household. If you are here and and maybe you uh, were an adopted child without a blood connection with that adopted family, the good news is that God also cares about you and your extended family. And the beautiful thing is we read in the New Testament that God adopted us. And if you are here as a, maybe a single parent, a widow, maybe an orphan or a stranger, whatever it is, God will fight your cause because he's on your side. And he gives attention to those kind of individuals too. But what I want to do, I want to take us through the book of Acts because I want to use this particular book to show us how God is interested in saving whole families. And I want to, focus on five families mentioned in the book of Acts and show you that there are promises in these scriptures that you can apply and uh, also stand on for your family. So let me introduce you to these individuals and their households and how God dealt with them. And the first individual is Cornelius, the army officer, and his household. And we read about them in in Acts 10. Let me just read the first two verses and I'll uh, quote some other scriptures as we go along. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So, Here is such a great example for us of how God will move mountains for somebody who has a hunger after God. He wasn't a believer yet, but he was earnest. He's described as being devout, as doing good things. Uh, But the odds were against him because humanly speaking, I want to say this, God had to go to a lot of trouble (laughs) to get Cornelius and his family saved. Because what do we know about them? He was not a Jew, he was a Gentile. His his Latin name Cornelius and his rank as Centurion, uh, from that we can safely assume that he was, and it says he was from the Italian regiment, so they probably called him Capitano Cornelio. But here he is from, probably from noble Roman ancestry, but from a pagan, polytheistic, idolatrous, religious background. But he had a hunger after the true God. And God saw that. And it probably got tired of all the idolatry and and the accompanying immorality of of that religion. And so I said to you before, God loves gangsters. God also loves pagans. (laughs) Because God was going to pursue him. God loves heathens. That's good news. So he wasn't even a Christian. He was religious. He was sincere. But probably heard about the Messiah from the Jews. And then um, uh, what what was amazing about him is that he served the poor by giving alms. He was uh, faithful in prayers, et cetera, et cetera. But God heard the prayers of a non-Jewish unbeliever. Wow. Wow. How gracious is God? So one day, broad daylight, three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius was fasting and praying, and an angel appears to him, gives him a word, a word of knowledge about Peter. And the angel said, send for this man. That's amazing how, how God will use people. And... um This was the message of the angel, Acts 11, 13, and 14. Sent men to Joppa and called for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which, listen to this, you and all your household will be saved. And how amazing is this? God tells him, Peter's name, his surname, it, it gives him the exact address. Go and study that, that chapter and you'll see that he lived in uh, the leather worker's house and the suburb was the seashore and Joppa was, was the city, modern day Tel Aviv. So Cornelius was serious about God and even some of the people under him feared God. Now I want you to listen to this. Quite often in the Bible, in the New Testament, household was more than just family. And it says in chapter 10, verse 7, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. So Cornelius influenced his servants and his soldiers. And so a day later, God speaks to Peter at noon and gives Peter a a very disturbing vision. And this vision had to appear to him three times because God somehow had to shock Peter. Remember, think about this. Peter comes from a Jewish background. Now, he was already kind of liberated because he stayed in the house of Simon the Tanner. And um, a Tanner was an unclean occupation dealt with animals that were not considered to be clean, but Peter still had a long way to go. Because here God shows him this vision of unclean animals coming down, and then God says to him, slaughter and eat these animals. And for a Jew, that was an absolute no And God had to show him three times, Because the purpose of this vision was to persuade Peter that he should not consider the Gentiles unclean. And God had to shock him out of religious racism. God had to get him out of spiritual xenophobia. Because he he didn't believe that Gentiles could become children of God. And uh, the amazing thing was that while uh, God was giving him this, this vision, at the gate, the messengers from Cornelius were waiting for him already. So Peter responds to the vision, and the Holy Spirit gave him that word of knowledge. He goes to, um, to Caesarea the next day, and it says this in Acts 10 and verse 24, the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. That's his household. That was his sphere of of influence. Preached the gospel to them and they received it and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, they also got baptized in water. How amazing is this? And there's a tradition that claims that that Cornelius started a church in Caesarea. How true that is, I don't know. But let me again say, humanly speaking, God had to go to a lot of trouble. Why? Because somebody was hungry after him. And he got saved with his whole, whole household. God can do it again. God can do it for you. He's not a respecter of persons or of families. Here's a second individual, and her household. Lydia, the businesswoman, and her household. So I I, I love the fact that God doesn't just work with patriarchs, but with matriarchs. God can use you in your uh, household. Lydia was from a, a city called Thyatira in Asia Minor, and by occupation she had a fabric shop, a clothes shop. And she specialised in purple cloths, which was very, very expensive, imported from her hometown. Uh, And and those cloths were used to make Roman togas, and they were very popular among rich people. I cannot see if there's anybody wearing purple today you consider to be royalty. Very interesting if you go and study the the facts around this um, to make the – the dye for those cloths. They had to take thousands of sea snails, crack the shells, remove the snails, and then uh, take a specific gland out of the snail, squeeze it, and then uh, leave it in the sun so that it could dye the fabrics. That's why it was so expensive. So here's a wealthy businesswoman. When we read about her, she had moved to Europe, and. She lives in the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And uh, with a house, you will see large enough to accommodate guests. So uh, uh, God sent Paul and his company to the city of Philippi, and they encountered Lydia when they held an, an open-air meeting. And probably she was a, a, a devout Jew, uh, a, a, a devout proselyte of the Jewish religion because, again, she comes from a a heathen background. In Acts 16, here from verse 13, we read uh, how Paul and his company Silas and Timothy and Luke uh, were at um, a place in the city where they prayed together and they found um, Lydia there. And then it says this, She's called a worshiper of God in verse 14. And in verse 15, it says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, because they responded to Paul's message. Uh, She invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So how amazing is this? Like Cornelius, the second household in the book of Acts, non-Jewish. And God reaches out to them um, and how uh, uh, she's changed from maybe somebody who feared God, who was fervent in prayer, who was well-off and generous, but now she becomes a genuine believer in God. And it's said by many scholars that, again, her household included those who worked for her, maybe in a home, in a business Um, that she was running because it seems like it was home industry. She wasn't in in Four Ways Mall or something like that. And how God did an amazing work. And the first church in Europe was started right here in Philippi. Can I say God can do it again? And God can do it for you. The third individual and his household... Again, is a heathen. And that is the Philippian uh, prison warden and his household. Now, my Bible says the Philippian jailer. But I want to be politically correct. So let me say that he was a security officer, uh, a supervising custodian in a correctional facility. Okay. But at that, st- that time, it was still a jail. <laughs> Okay, we read about him in Acts 16, and it also happened in the city of of Philippi. And we know the story how Paul and Silas were um, uh, put in prison. They were singing hymns and praying midnight, and the prisoners were listening. And then God came uh, with a great earthquake because uh, he was just tapping with his foot, I think, when Paul and Silas... Saying so it caused an earthquake and then it says the keeper of the, of the prison was um, obviously very very scared and wanted to kill himself but they said don't do yourself any harm and this is what we read in verse 30 it says that he brought uh, paul and silas out and said sirs what must i do to be saved so they said and Listen to these words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. I love the way God works. So it's interesting, out of the the, uh, three of the four households that became Christians mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, were Gentiles, were heathen people. So God's grace is so amazing that he touches this. No, we don't know his name. We know that he lived in Philippi. Uh, this time he was, he was um, not a God-fearing man like Cornelius and, and Lydia, but he um, was moved by God. And then his whole family got born again and got baptized. I love that in the middle of the night they got baptized. That shows me that they were really... Um, believers who accepted everything that Paul and Silas preached to them. Now, as I said, the first church was started right here in Philippi. And this is just my imagination, but I think that that jailer became the church janitor because he was used to carrying keys around. So, <laughs> okay, but again, God saved a whole household. Here's a, a fourth individual in his family, Crispus. Let me call him Crispus the minister and his household because he was the, uh, the ruler of the synagogue. Acts 18, verses 7 and 8, it says that Paul departed from there, uh, probably from the synagogue, and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his hustle. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Something very interesting about this man. First of all, uh, he has a very interesting name, Crispus. In Latin, that name literally means crisp, fresh. So it would be right to call him Father Crispus. Or daddy cool. (laughs) But he and his household got born again. Unlike the other person so far, he was a Jew, got born again, the ruler of the synagogue, and got born again where? In a home group. Wow. And that is where God touched him and his whole family, and is one of the few people uh, whom Paul, personally baptized. So they took a bold stand uh, for Christ, him and his family, and we read further in um, the book of Acts that many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. And God had many people in that city, the scripture says. So again, God used that. Paul spent a year and a half there and established a, a strong church in the city of Corinth. The last individual and family that I want to mention is Lois, the grandmother, and her household. So when we look at the book of Acts, there's no reference to this grandmother Lois, but I'll make the connection in a while. We don't uh, read the word household, but you'll see that it's implied. In Acts 16, we read about uh, Lois's daughter and her grandson. It says that Paul came to Derby and to Lystra and a disciple, obviously the disciple of Jesus was there, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He, uh, it says he was well spoken of by the brethren. Now, It's interesting that maybe the father wasn't a believer because specifically he's mentioned as a Greek here. We don't know if he ever came to be a believer, but his wife had a very strong faith in God. And so Eunice was her name and and Lois. And here is what uh, we read about Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. It says, uh, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Who taught him? His mother and his grandmother. And so that is important. I want to say this. You cannot believe for your children, but your faith can influence them. That's the important thing. I heard an an interesting story about four theologians who were having a debate about the best Bible translation. The first one said he loves the King James because of its poetic and dramatic and uh, expressive old-style English. Second one said, no, I like the English Standard Version because its, its accuracy in translating the original text appealed to him. The third one said, no, I actually like the New Living Translation because it uses contemporary phrases and modern-day idioms so that I can understand it. And the fourth theologian was quiet. After a moment, he said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. And the other scholars could not hide their amusement, but he explained and he said, yes, my mother did translate the Scriptures. She translated each page of the Bible into life. And he says, that's probably the most convincing translation I've ever read. And this is what Timothy experienced in his mother and his grandmother, and no wonder Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. He says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, niece, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So let me again say, your faith can be part of the legacy that you leave for your children. And God wants whole households. To be saved, we know Timothy became a traveling companion, a spiritual son, a fellow worker of Paul, co author of some of Paul's epistles, and functioned as a pastor at a very young age. And Paul wrote two of his uh, personal epistles to him. God can do it again, God can touch young people. So I want to conclude with this. You probably heard this many times before. But I want to emphasize it again this morning. God is a multi-generational God. God wants to touch your whole family. God wants to touch the generations to come. I like this scripture in Exodus 3.15 where God said to Moses, tell them, the Israelites, the Lord your God, the God of your ancestors. The God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will be my name forever. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. You can touch generations to come and influence your children and your children's children. I want you to realize that God once he gets hold of you, he has a foot in the door of your home. <laughs> yeah. And you can open the door for your whole family. I, maybe I should read the scripture too, and and it just takes too too long to explain, but I love the way that Paul says that you can claim God's promises of protection, of peace, of prosperity over your family, even if they are not believers. If you read in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14, he says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. And the children are sanctified, not saved, but sanctified, means separated unto the Lord so that God can bless them. One wants to bless your whole family. And I want us to make that confession today. Let's stand.